0: Are you looking for food truck books to read, but you're starting to feel overwhelmed with all the content? Or maybe you're trying to find answers to your questions, but you realize you haven't asked the right questions to get those answers. Well, you're in luck. I wrote the book, Before You Launch a Food Truck, 8 Questions Every Aspiring Food Trucker Should Ask. For the past five years, I have been studying the food truck industry and been a diehard food truck customer. And in the process of that, I've learned a lot about what makes a good food truck stand out among the rest. I took eight of those key concepts and created a book where I could have curbside conversations with each of you about them. What makes this book different is not only that it's digestible and designed to not overwhelm you, but it also propels you into action. You can purchase Before You Launch a Food Truck Today at thefoodtruckscholar.com/shop in paperback and ebook format as well as on Amazon. For every copy purchased, I'm donating a copy to organizations committed to helping formerly incarcerated individuals re-enter society, particularly those that are interested in starting their own food business. So, Buy a copy today to help yourself and someone else get rolling and keep trucking. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Food Truck Scholar Podcast, brought to you by BGT Gifts. I'm your host, Ariel D. Smith, and I appreciate you for choosing to kick it with me for yet another episode. I know one of the major takeaways people often get from my show when it comes to starting their food truck is to step out on faith and do it. However, in addition to faith, to launch it, you also have to use logic and reason to sustain it. I've seen many food trucks get into trouble on the business side simply because agreements were not written down. Did you and a friend start a business together? Are you doing your first catering event? Are you worried someone may steal your menu? If any of that sounds like you, this is your episode. Today's guest is my friend, attorney Courtney Howard. Courtney is also a Birmingham native, 205, and stops by the show to educate us on what we as business owners can do to protect ourselves and our business on the front end with written agreements. Disclaimer, this is not legal advice, this is for educational purposes only. But for now, lean forward and take notes. The show starts now. This is why I love the Food Truck Scholar podcast, because I get to bring on my smart friends. And today we are talking about preparing your business for contracts with Courtney Howard Esquire. How are you doing, love? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. So this is kind of like a mini reunion. Yes, (laughs) we always have those. We do, we do. So can you talk a little bit about who you are and your background a little bit?
1: Yes, so I'm Courtney Howard. I am a licensed attorney. And a lot of my work that I've been doing has been fully with contract negotiation, agreement um, with different vendors or agreements between two parties who are planning to operate a business together. I also have my own business, which is a scalp care company called Love Your Scout. So that also helps me be able to provide advice to people with businesses with me both having a legal background and my own business. I also just, on the regular, just try to make sure I'm keeping up with the trends on what's happening in the legal world, what's happening in the hair care world. Outside of that, that's really all I do. I have fun. I travel. And I enjoy my family and all that great stuff. But professionally, I'm an attorney
0: and a scalp care enthusiast. I love it. And so my audience can already tell why I got you on the show is that so many times, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's beautiful to have someone who is an attorney and an entrepreneur because you're able to understand both sides of the situation. Mm-hmm. And Courtney, you know, by being entrepreneurs, we spend a lot of time with other entrepreneurs and we see things that we're lacking and things that other people are lacking. And one of the things that I've noticed in the food truck industry is that there are a lot of agreements that happen and none of them are written. And so I'm gonna talk today about a couple of examples that I've seen happen in the industry and I I welcome some of your thoughts and suggestions, understanding that this is not legal advice, this is for educational purposes only. So just wanted to get that out there. First is scenario: I got a food truck, right, and I decide I'm gonna do it with my best friend. I got the business knowledge; they got the passion for cooking. We say, "Boom! We're gonna start this food truck. We're gonna open this business together." There's nothing written down. We just went for it. Few years later, we realize. Maybe going into business was not the best thing for our friendship. Our friendship falls apart. My friend or former friend now has walked away from the business, but still wants profits. What should a person do before getting into all of that mess? If you're going to be starting a food truck with your friend or with your spouse or with a family member What type of contracts or agreements should be in place, Courtney?
1: Wow, you don't know how much I just cringed while you were giving me that scenario. First of all, when you're doing business with anyone that, that involves any type of money or potential liability, you need to have everything in writing. And when you have those things in writing, that allows you to be able to go back and see what did you all say when things were clear? What did you all say? when things were good. Now that things are bad, sometimes messages get mixed up and memories get lost as well. So it's best to have everything in writing. And in this scenario, since you have two people doing business together, you'll need an operating agreement. And this operating agreement will basically lay out all of the details of how you want to run your business, what the plan is, how liability falls, how voting falls, how making decisions to to make new purchases, to sell the business will fall, how dissolving the business happens. All of that goes into your operating agreement. And in that agreement, you, you, you definitely want to have the basic information. So you want to have the names of the people who are involved. So if Courtney and Ariel are opening a food truck business together, We'll have both of our names and addresses in there just in case anything comes up. And also, with this operating agreement, the number one thing I need to t- say is this agreement needs to be in writing. Nothing about it needs to be verbal. Everything that you all talk about and agree upon verbally needs to go in writing in this operating agreement. And no additions should be made to this operating agreement without the verbal and written agreement of both parties involved and at this point you and your friends are two parties coming together to start a food truck business now along with that you want to have lay out the ownership rights. so you mentioned in the scenario your best friend is the cook he has the background and being able to chef it up make everything taste Mm -hmm. good and look good but you have the business knowledge and you might also have the funding and so since you might bring in the funding and your best friend might bring in the cooking, y'all are giving two types of equity into the company. One is giving cash, the person with the business knowledge and the money to fund it. The other one is giving sweat equity, who is actually doing the cooking. And you can't have one without the other. You can't buy the ingredients to cook the food without the money. And you can't cook the food if you have the ingredients without the chef. Well, but you can cook it, but it might not taste good. So you can't really have one without the other. So you all need to come up with the ownership percentage. The person giving the money might think, well, I'm more valuable to the company, so I should get more value from our profits because I'm putting in more money. The person cooking might think, well, I'm more valuable to the company because we won't have anything to sell to people if I don't cook it." So that's when in your operating agreement, you want to break down the percentage. So where it's like, you know, sometimes you see a 50 fee, sometimes you see a 51, 49% where one person has a little bit more ownership percentage than the other person. And that person with the most ownership position will usually take the most profit. That's what that percentage is for. You also want to lay out how decisions will be made. Do both of us have to agree for us to make the decision? Does one of us have to agree? Does the person with the most percentage have to agree? You wanna lay that out on the front end while things are still nice and perky because when it comes down to the back end, if you don't have these things in your agreement, there is an agreement that the court will apply if you decide to go to court about this stuff. Each state has default rules for businesses with more than one member. So the the default will be whatever the state says. And we all know depending on what state you live in, you might not like what that state is saying. You just want to make sure you have these things laid out in your operating agreement so that you don't have to follow on what the state says. So if you do find out you like what the state says, I would go with that. But it's best to have an operating agreement so that both parties that are in business together can understand what's going on. Something else you want to have in an operating agreement is a profit and loss distribution. Now with that, that basically lays out who takes, takes what? When we profit, who takes how much? Do I take 50 and you take 50? Do, do I take 20 and you take 20? And then we give the the other 60 back to, into invest in, into the business for a certain period of time. You can lay that out. You can have your own rules to that. And if you don't make up your own rules to it, the state will. So that's something you need to keep in mind. Something else you want to have in there is dissolving the agreement, whether you're dissolving the company by selling it so it's been acquired or you're dissolving the company because you no longer want the business anymore. What does that look like? Who do the responsibilities of dissolving the business fall on? Who takes care of the accounting? Who takes care of the legal stuff to make sure the paperwork is submitted to the state to make sure it is properly dissolved? Who takes care of all of those different things? You want to have that laid out in your agreement as well. Now, let's say take it a little further and say that your best friend gets married and wants to wants his husband or his wife to to be a part of the company. Now, can best friend just bring bringing their spouse and say, "Oh yeah, my spouse is going to help us with this too, and we'll give her ten percent." Can that happen?
0: No, it's not. not
1: supposed to happen.
0: Oh, but if it's not in the it's operating not agreement, to
1: hello, because you ain't that my the privity of this contract is between me and my best friend, not me, my best friend, and his wife, me, my best friend, and his kids, none of that. And so, if you want to bring in a new member into this agreement or a new business partner into this agreement, you need to get the permission. But if that's not in y'all's operating agreement. How do you know that? So you want to lay out, how can we bring in new people for our business? How do we bring in new partners? How do we bring in investors? You want to have all of that laid out in
0: your agreement. So I wanted to pause for a moment. Louie. So when we dissolve a business, that's basically for whatever reason, we've decided that we no longer want to continue on with the business. So that means either I'm going to mm-hmm. straight up close the business or or I'm going to sell the business off to somebody. Hmm. Okay. And that you yep. said we have to have a profit and loss agreement. Is that what it was? Profit and loss agreement. You should have a clause about profit and loss within the agreement. Yes. Okay. And now that's something I hadn't heard of before, but it mm-hmm. makes perfect sense because when I was starting, a bank account with a new company that I have, and I have a co-founder for that. They asked about who owns what percent of the company, who does this, who does that. And so being, it's very critical when money's involved, it's like, who can pull the money out? How much can they pull Mm -hmm. out? Because you can look at the bank account. This is not my story, but you can look at the bank account and be like, what happened to the money? And Mm they're like, oh, well, you know, I had a, a situation at home, so I needed to pull from here and I'm gonna put it back. And, but if you have an agreement that says, when can we access the money for? What reason can we access the money? What percent of profit can you pull from? It eliminates those problems.
1: And not only not only that, we all know the food service industry um, takes money to make money. You have to buy food to be able to make the food and to sell the food. So what happens? What happens is that we decide to no longer have this business and we owe people mm. we owe creditors who pays for that? if we don't have a line of credit through our l l c it falls on our l l c or if we have a partnership an l l p it falls back on us as individuals, but who pays what mm You need to lay that out on the early end. So if that person who was getting 60% of profit, shouldn't they be able to have to pay about 60% of loss? And if you don't want it to be like that, you need to lay that out in the agreement. Because if not, again, the state will follow their default agreement.
0: And that's what we're saying on who owes what. Wow. That blew my mind right there. So... My second scenario for you is I got this food truck and we killing the game, right? And so this major company downtown wants us to set up shop in their parking lot during lunch hours. They want me to come for the whole month. And in that time, that means that me being there for for lunch hours, I can't be anywhere else. I'm making the agreement to be here and they're telling me oh well we got about 500 employees so they're telling me that they got 500 employees do i know how many of those employees gonna come to my food truck i don't do i know if the company's even going to encourage them (laughs) to come outside i don't but i'm making this agreement on face value to set up shop on property of this company for the next month or so What would you encourage a food truck owner to do in that situation?
1: Wow. Okay. So, congratulations on the booming business. That's great. But when it comes to actually doing service with this company, because your food truck is doing great everywhere else, you're going to assume like, okay, well, when I go down there to this place, it's going to do even better because the people of Oslo downtown work in this building. So, I should be fine yeah you should be fine, but what if you're not, so you need to put something in place with this um with this company, and a lot of times the companies will have paperwork for you to sign, and I would like to speak to it on that end of it, okay um when the company has paperwork for you to sign for you to because in order for you to be on their property. A lot of times it will lay out, you know, the date and the time that you'll be there. They'll also probably ask you to submit your food service license and all of that. But what you need to look at whether they have an indemnification clause in their agreement.
0: What is that? And what this means
1: is indemnification basically means, hey, you got in, you got into something while you were on my property, but because it was your fault and you were on my property, you take care of what you need to your your part and we'll pay you back for for our part if anything comes up on our part but just go ahead and take care of it in the, on the front end and we'll take care of our responsibility later when you look at those things a lot of times indemnification clause clauses won't read like that a lot of times they are one-sided so when you look at a clause like that you want to make sure your party is also protected. You want to make sure your business is also protected. So if your food truck is on that, that light, and let's say a light falls from the lighting fixture outside in the parking lot, it falls on a customer while that customer is waiting in line to get food from your food truck. You don't have anything to do with that light. You don't own the light. You don't even own the light that the light fell on. But the lady was in your line. And because she remembers being in your line, she sues for a food truck company. Mm. Well, now you let that company, ABC company, know, hey, this lady filed a lawsuit with me because the light fell upon her and, and hurt her, severely hurt her while she was standing in line for my food truck. Although it's my food truck, she was standing in line for it that light is not my responsibility. That is your responsibility. And so what you're asking in that agreement is for, or in in the indemnification clause, you need to word it in a way where, hey, if something happens while I'm on your property to somebody, a customer of mine that I did not do, you promise to be responsible for this and to pay me back anything I have to pay, any court costs I have to pay, you know, for handling the situation. A lot of times these indemnification clauses will be one-sided. So you want to read it to make sure that it covers your business as well.
0: And just to give an example of this is I was doing a collaboration with a company. And when we got to the indemnification clause, it said, party agrees to hold blank harmless for any and all situations. So mm-hmm. that means that no matter what happened, even if it was their fault, mm-hmm. I can't sue them because I'm signing right? a contract saying that I hold them harmless for any and all damages. So yes, when you when you're looking at contracts and you'll see you'll see it pop up. It's, it's normally at the bottom, in my experience, uh, at the bottom of the contract mm-hmm. near the end. And it will say something along the lines of parties agreed to hold so-and-so harmless or no liability, whatever. But usually I've seen the word harmless. That's usually where the identification mm-hmm. clause is. And it is usually yes. one-sided. <laughs> so you have to go back into negotiations and be like, well, let's work this back out.
1: Yeah, you definitely want to read those. Yeah, it's good business. Yeah, you might get the people. But
0: you also need to protect yourself. Yes. So here's my third scenario. I'm catering a wedding. They come to me and they say what what many food truckers hear is, well, I, I got a small budget. I want you to pull a miracle off of a small budget. And you done took the time. You've put all of this together and at the very last minute now that you done bought all the food everything's prepped at the last minute something happens maybe the wedding got called off but what do you do because now you got all this food <laughs> that you've prepared mm. for and you got part of your money but you're not getting the rest of it because you were supposed to get it that day
1: Mm-mm. wow see that's why you have to put a credit card on hold. You need to get your coin. You paid that money. So something like this, you definitely want to have an agreement. You always want to have an agreement when your your business is, is doing any type of event or partnership or in, pulling anything off for a third party. And in these types of events, I mean, in these type of agreements, like an event or like catering for an event, in that agreement, you want to, first of all, you want to have an agreement. In that agreement, you need to have the business name, ABC Catering, and you also need to have the name of, since this is a wedding, you need to have names of both the bride and the groom so that you're not just stuck with going after one of them. You can go after both because mm. both of their names are on that agreement. So you have, you have that information. You have the date of the wedding. You have what time you're expected to get there to set up. You have how many people you are expected to do catering for. You even lay out the type of food you're expected to cater for. And the reason you get so detailed with something like this, because if you in the situation where this event gets canceled, let's say two or three days before the actual event, and you've already purchased the food, you've already prepped, you've even already hired staff to help you be able to pull this off. You need to be able to show the court in this agreement, hey, I let them know this is everything I needed to do in preparation for their event. And because i purchased all of these items in preparation for their event, and I let them know in the agreement, if cancellation is within 10 days, it is no way for me to recover the cost of what I've already paid for to prepare for their event they will be responsible for full payment as if the event took place. All of that needs to be in the agreement because if it is not, you have no way to prove what you're prepared for. You have no way to prove that you were purchasing all of this stuff in advance for this specific event. You have no way to prove that you put the parties on notice that you purchased all of this stuff within this amount of days before the event. So you you need that in the agreement, but you also need a clause to create understanding for both sides, your business, as well as the bride and groom, that if for any reason the event is canceled or does not take place and notice is not given within, you usually see 90 days, although people are not buying food 90 days in advance, but just to cover themselves, 90 days, but if you know you can wiggle 30, that's fine too, but you need to have a, an amount of days, a set number of days in which they have time to counsel before not being able to have to take care of the full cost of the agreement. And also, you want to also make sure you lay out, okay, what they pay you on the front end, what's expected to be paid on the back end. And don't ever, not with catering, don't ever wait till the day of to get the back end of your money. If anything. When the when the contract is executed and you say both parties have signed, okay, well, since in that agreement, it needs to say something like, upon execution or signing of this agreement, 50% of the deposit is due in order for the agreement to be in place. And then it also needs to be some wording in there that say 15, maybe 15 to 30 days, you put your days on it. But you're going to have to stick with whatever you put in there. The last amount of the deposit is due. If deposit is not paid, event will not be catered by ABC Catering Company. Deposit will not be returned. All of those things need to be in there. Because you have to hold these people responsible for your business. If you take your business seriously, you want them to take your business seriously. People will only take your business as seriously as you take it. So if you don't take it that serious, they're going to think, oh, yeah, they told us we could just pay them later. But the contract says you need to pay upon executing this agreement. Stick with that. So those are some things you need to put in place to keep yourself from being in the hole from a canceled wedding.
0: So let me ask you this. So I know when we're talking about founding and building a business together, that's an operating agreement. Is there a specific name for this scenario, for this type of agreement?
1: Um, You could call it a vending agreement. You can call it a catering agreement. But at the end of the day, you're a vendor.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: you can call it a vendor agreement.
0: Okay. So operating agreement. We got a vendor agreement for this scenario. So this is my final one because I know we're a little bit over time, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Is employees. Now, I've seen this happen with employees. I've also seen this happen with other companies. A food truck is asked by, let's say, a brewery to come in, and they want to do a partnership and create a special menu. Somehow along the line, the deal falls through, but that food truck looks up, and they notice, huh, that menu looks familiar. It's the menu they created. Same thing happens with an employee. Food truck hires a new person. That person comes on, learns the menu to do the job. Suddenly they leave this food truck. They either start their own food truck with the exact menu or they go to a competing food truck and takes that person's menu to that food truck. Is there anything that we can do? To protect ourselves from having our menu stolen.
1: Ooh. Wow, <laughs> that's that's yeah, that's coming in a lot of a lot of different areas, and a lot a lot of issues just popped up with that for me. First of all, you want to sign the confidentiality agreement if you're ever discussing any type of idea that has originated from your own self and that helps to bring profit or could help to bring profit into your business, you need to sign a confidentiality agreement that whatever you all discuss within this meeting, stay within, stay with you all, stay with y'all. And none of the information is used for the gain of the other person. You also want to, when you, when you're hiring people, especially if you're hiring for a specific specialty, it can't be that you just, you just hired them to, to clean up around the place or to make sure the truck is stocked up you need to hire if you're hiring for a specialty position they need to sign a non-compete clause and depending on the state the non-complete clause can vary on how long it can be what distance it can be so you can't say hey you're working on my food truck right here in Birmingham Alabama but I'm not going to allow you to work on, you can't go out in California and work on a food truck that's similar to mine. No, because now you're keeping him from getting a new business, I mean, from from getting a new job. If he relocates to another state, and nine times out of ten, since you are a local food truck, your customers probably don't even reach all the way out to California. And so since you don't have, you're not operating business or a food truck out there, you can't extend his non-complete clause. his or her non-complete clause out that that far. Another thing you want to do is copyright your menu. And you might think, why would I pay all that money to do that and go through the ucs process and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Don't worry about that. All you need to do is make your menu, sign something at the bottom of it, whether it's your initials, your name, date it, take that menu, mail it to yourself. Mail it to yourself, and at that point, it's copywritten. It's showing proof that you made this menu on this date. It was by you. It was sent within mail, which is run by the Federal Post Office, <laughs> and at that point, it's copyrighted. Now, you can go through the USPTO process and, and do all of that, and a lot of times, people don't know this, yeah, there are trademark attorneys, there are patent attorneys, copyright attorneys, all those things. But they have websites, they have videos on the USPTO's website that'll walk you through how to properly do this stuff. if that's the route you want to go? But if you just need proof to like to prove it legally in court that this is your this is your document and this person originated the menu from your menu and you can show. My menu was in place first. This person worked for me. Now this person went somewhere else three months later. And a year later, I see my same menu at this new place this person is working with. I'm just here to prove that I had the menu first. And I can prove that by showing you this timestamp from the post office of when it was mailed and dated. It was dated and mailed to me. Wow. That's what you need.
0: Wow. Courtney, I just want to say thank you so much for coming to the Food Truck Scholar podcast and dropping every last gem that you just dropped. (laughs) I'm sure I didn't drop all of them.
1: I could since we were pretty on the spot, but I hope I did. I hope I did
0: a pretty good job. I, I think you did more than a good job. We put you in the ring of fire and you stepped up to it. (laughs) Uh, I remember we was talking recently and I was like oh my god like I need to have you on the show to talk about these things and you was like well yeah come on so I had to bring some ideas that was like that a lot of them actually kind of happened recently Mm -hmm. to you to be like hey this is this what's going on so I know that you are selective with the people that you bring on as you should but Mm -hmm. how can people connect with you um
1: if you like to connect with me as far as like you know getting advice since this was for educational purposes if you want to connect me with for advice or even negotiating or reviewing agreements that you have you can contact me by email my email address is court c-o-u-r-t-l-h-o-w at gmail.com that is court l how at gmail.com and in your subject title make sure You mentioned the Food Truck Scholar. I know if you listen to this, you're somewhat serious about your business. So make sure you mention the Food Food Truck Scholar in in the subject of your message and let me know what it is I can assist you with and we can take it from there.
0: And let me keep it a buck with my audience. Like, yes, there is, you know, consultations. However, if you're serious, I want to underscore serious, i.e., willing to monetarily invest in what you're going to do. Absolutely reach out. Don't just be putting my name on them. Like what well, the food trust scholar says she got five on it. The food <laughs> Trust scholar did not say that, but <laughs> that's not what the food <laughs> Trust scholar said. But if you are serious about (laughs) investing and taking your company to the next level, absolutely reach out. This is a colleague and friend of mine that I absolutely admire and respect. So if that's something that you're serious about doing, absolutely reach out. And Courtney, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so
1: much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Food Truck Scholar podcast, brought to you by BGT Gifts. If you're looking for additional content to devour, visit thefoodtruckscholar.com and check out our book, upcoming courses, as well as events. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. But for now, I'm Ariel D. Smith signing off and reminding you to buy local eat local, and support your neighborhood food truck. I'll see you soon.